0: Hello, welcome to Out of Our Minds. You're actually listening to part three of a discussion between Pastor Tim Bailey, Pastor Jake Mensel, and myself, Nathan Alberson, on the topic of preaching. So go back and listen to parts one and two for the context. And please go to newgenevaacademy.com to learn more about New Geneva Academy. NGA partners with the local church to equip men called to the pastorate and eldership and to help local church leadership implement a faithful vision for church growth. Basically, it's pastors making pastors. And it's not some big, anonymous, expensive seminary that you go off and learn how to be woke or whatever. This is an academy that's all about making shepherds after God's own heart, shepherds who have real compassion and who really have the skill set that it takes to feed and care for God's sheep. So if that's the kind of work that you're interested in, or if you know a man who's interested in it, go to newgenevaacademy.com today.
1: Let's go back to the very beginning where we were talking about different forms of preaching. Mm-hmm. I don't think we made it sufficiently clear that because we're against pulpitery, what that doesn't mean is that people have to get up and have a dialogical method of preaching. Mm-hmm. There are many men that are not capable of thinking the thoughts of their people as they're preaching. Right. I'm capable of an unbelievable number of thoughts in my brain as I preach. If you could dissect my brain and look at all the thoughts going through my mind and what I'm saying at the time that those thoughts are going through my mind, none of us have any trouble thinking about what's for dinner mm-hmm. while we're preaching. Don't you find that all of a sudden you're hungry and you think, oh, yeah, there's going to be meat at home when I get home. And you do that while you're preaching. You're capable of a lot of different thoughts, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're capable of cutting yourself loose from your manuscript. But I want to say that some men are extremely good at telling stories. And I'm not talking about tear jerkers or shaggy dog. I'm saying that they can just use a simple story like Jesus' simple stories. Jesus' illustrations never overwhelm his Mm -hmm. truth, never. And you don't ever want to illustrate your sermon in a way that overwhelms the text and people think, oh, what a perfect illustration. That's not preaching. Mm -hmm. But some men tell stories. Some men are incredibly analytical. The Puritans are like this. My son Joseph is like this. And he bores down, and all of a sudden, you're 5,000 feet underground, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even realize this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, it's even worse. Oh, it's even better. That's the way Joseph is. He's analytical. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so you preach to your strength. We had a pastor of the church I, I went to in Bloomington, and he was a storyteller. He never was capable of doing an exposition or a thematic sermon. He just told stories, and so all the academics disrespected him. And yet, the church grew from about 90 to about 900 under him because he loved people. And it is true, they did not get doctrinal instruction at all, not at all. I don't want to keep going about him, but I admire the man because of how he loved his sheep. So, no, we're not telling you, You've got to be dialogical. You have to be self-deprecating. You have to posture. You have to convict people of sin. You have to. What I want to say is the sine qua non of being a shepherd is love for the chief shepherd and love for his sheep. Hmm. If you don't have that, you cannot possibly please God in the ministry. You can't please God in the ministry. And. If you love God and you love his sheep, you are going to be excruciatingly aware of their vulnerabilities eternally. You are going to feel and take personally every slightest attack on them in the newspaper, in Facebook, by their relatives. How many times have we felt deeply the attacks upon our sheep by their relatives? And then you will use The barn while they're being milked. Okay. So think of the offering as milking the cows. All right. I have my dairy farmers in my mind. Mm -hmm. And as they're being milked, the farmer feeds them. All right. Mm -hmm. And it's visceral the smell, the food, the cow steps on you and snaps your face with her tail. The calves need to be fed. If you don't have that kind of approach to your people, that they give you money because they're sharing all good things with the one that teaches them. And so you have an obligation to feed them in such a way, not, not that they like you, but that they trust you and love you. And so you're going to warn them. Paul, Paul says, day and night with tears, house to house, day and night with tears. You're going to rebuke them. You're going to admonish them. The, the faint-hearted, you're going to encourage you're going to call them to repent. You're going to teach them that they actually are wicked, even though they thought they their grandmother at least thinks they're wonderful. I really feel that what is missing in preaching today is any love that is properly so-called love for God and for his sheep, love. Love makes us speak truth that we would never speak if we didn't love. And so then be yourself. If you tell stories, tell stories. If you don't like exposition, then do topical. Go to the narratives. Go to the Old Testament. Do whatever comes naturally to you. Build on your nature and gifts. Don't try to be like somebody else. That that kills me when people say, "Oh, Tim's so courageous," and I'm going to be courageous. And it's like I'm not courageous in the least. I'm just scared. That's all. And I try to stay ahead of my fear. Hmm. And so don't be somebody else. Don't be MacArthur. Don't be Deong. Don't be Piper. Please discipline your adverbs. Yeah, It's actually not greater than the sum of the other subjects and and verbs. It actually detracts.
0: (laughs) In the context of love for the sheep, in the context of everything we've been talking about, in the context of be yourself, let's talk about delivery, cadence, that sort of thing hand gestures what do you guys want to say or not say about that
2: maybe the simplest way for me to think about even the question is to think about young men as they are delivering their, their first sermons it is those are all really big things and i think one of the first things that we do with young men who are learning to preach is actually teach them to eliminate bad habits that are distracting from the work of preaching so much of preaching is personal so much of preaching and communicating, like we were talking about, is be yourself, right? Like getting somebody to Tim talks about Andy Halsey. He's self-deprecating. He he's he takes you on a winding road. He's got his stories. Different people preach in very different, different ways. And part of what you want to want to do with somebody's learning to preach is help them figure out what it is for them to preach in a way that's an expression of their love for the sheep. But a lot of things that I find myself wanting to say to guys who are learning to preach is hey, and these are things that I needed to learn and still need to learn to some degree. It's like, hey, if you're nervously fidgeting with your wedding ring or with the pulpit or the music stand or whatever you're preaching from, that's really distracting. And it betrays that you're uncomfortable and you just need to relax and breathe and be free and discipline yourself to not do those sorts of things. So some addition by subtraction maybe. Joseph,
1: my son, has an annoying habit of saying "um" or "ah." What what is it?
2: I don't know. It's been a while since I sat yeah, here and I was preaching,
1: and it's been a while here too. But he he will fill silence with a word like That's that.
2: That's a big thing that everybody <laughs> needs to learn at some point. Or silence. don't it's be actually, scared of silence. Never be scared yeah. of silence. It's okay.
1: Well, I think Joseph, it's a little. It's a little more intense than most people because he's just like Andy. He's analytical. And so he drills down on things and it takes him a while for his brain to work. And while the brain is working and it's coming up with very good stuff, it's not Mm -hmm. stupid stuff. Right. And I notice in talking to him on the phone, he doesn't say or ah on the phone. It's just silent. And so I'm always thinking I've lost his call.
2: Mm.
1: And then finally, after a while, I say, are you still there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. But he's thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And <clears throat> with me, I rub my head a lot. I sing songs from
0: back in the day. I think actually the thing that's most distinctive I, that, that would stand out to a lot, of, if someone just heard your preaching for the first time, the thing that they would notice is you go high in your register to get people's attention. Or, or for whatever reason, yeah, yeah, you yeah. you go high, and is that a, is that a learned thing, or is that a just a that's just a a Bailey thing, or
1: no, it's not a Bailey thing. Remember, I say that half my ministry, I used manuscripts, and I did not alter my tone at all during those years at mm-hmm. all. What everybody said about my preaching was that they liked it because I spoke in the pulpit exactly like I spoke in person. I was so proud of that, but at some point, I realized that. That's wrong, because I am not having a conversation. I'm proclaiming the word of God. And so I made a conscious decision to begin to have some dynamic. And the fact that I go high, that may be Bailey instead of going low. But generally, the guys that go low are guys that are in love with their voice, and that's not helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing is, I like to go high so that I am undignified. Hmm. So that's a conscious decision that I must not do things that would cause people to give me dignity as a way of getting attention. Because then again, you're just making the wrong point. The point is about you, and it's not about the truth. And so probably the habit that people know most about me is that in the middle of teaching something that is humiliatingly direct, I will say to the congregation something to the effect, I'm just trying to be helpful. And sometimes I've stopped and said, now you might wonder why I'm saying helpful instead of just, I'm just trying to be helpful. And I said, the reason is I want the word helpful to show you I'm willing to lose my dignity and pride if it will help you. And so I'm just making fun of myself. I'm just being helpful. And I, actually, I have hand gestures that go with it, and they're gay. Mm-hmm. They're like limp-wristed. And, in other words, forget me, forget me, forget me. Mm-hmm. Listen to the truth. Don't decide what you think about me, and I will make a fool of myself to keep you from thinking about me.
0: But it's a fascinating thing that that's where your preaching landed, because a lot of guys would think, well, I, I want to get out of the way, so I'm going to make myself as small as possible. And what you just told me, in essence, is I wanted to get out of the way. And so I learned to make myself bigger.
1: Well, louder. There are points in sermons that should be emphasized, and I will either get loud and high, or I will get very quiet. In the day of microphones, you can get quiet and emphasize in a way that past orators could not do. Mm -hmm. There are times where you want people to strain to understand you and hear you. You want them panting for the food that you're feeding. And so (laughs) you you don't want to be banal. And if you don't know the meaning of the word banal, look it up and think about your preaching. You don't want to be a certain tone of voice that has dignity. You don't want to be facile of tongue because facile and banal go together. You don't want to say truths that sound pretty. You want to love your sheep and you want to feed them the word of God in such a way that they go from the place strengthened to live for God. And that requires as many rebukes as it does encouragements. And so the whole question of mannerisms, habits of speech, what the appearance is, what you do with your hands and your legs, again, I feel like, again, you don't want to cultivate acolytes. You don't want people to wish that they were you. Mm Mm-hmm. You have enough trouble being yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And they should get a feeling of your frequent, I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. Can we please get people who are preachers to look at the Apostle Paul and realize that he's not just there to give us doctrine, he's there to show us proper godly pastoral care and preaching. And he's simple. And people are going to laugh and say, well, the book of Romans isn't simple. And I would say, I agree with Jake when he says, I know that book so well that it's simple for me to preach Romans and much more difficult to preach Ruth. Yeah. I think people would laugh at that. But Paul
2: is simple. So straightforward and linear. Yeah. And
1: direct.
2: direct. Yeah. Yeah. I am and I'm not always, ashamed. And I'm always finding myself in Romans preaching what comes next. Yeah, like,
1: it's natural. Like he because, gets to the end of chapter one and he says, and you, you yeah. think
2: you're good? You you Jew, you think you're good? Yeah, and so it's just like, oh crap! I, I, <laughs> now I, I'm preaching chapter two, but I I finished last week's sermon by preaching chapter two. Like you know, it's just like, but because it's what
1: comes next. But even on that, how repetitious is the Apostle Paul? He's unbelievably <laughs> repetitious. Absolutely. How long is a paragraph? How run on are his sentences?
2: <laughs> it's the guy's a lot. insane. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. It's a lot. It's he a is lot. just absolutely. Well, it's and it's with him, it's the kitchen sink, right? Yeah, like, Yeah. It's yeah. the kitchen yeah. sink. It's yeah. whatever it takes. And you can't read Paul's epistles in the variety of the the epistles, depending on who he's talking to and what he has to say. And not just know that this dude, like it's the kitchen sink. It's whatever it takes. That's it. Whatever it takes to get the Galatians to wake up. Whatever it takes to get the church at Rome to understand the fullness of the gospel, whatever it takes to get the church at Corinth to like <laughs> be a, an actual church. <laughs> Boy,
1: we could talk about this stuff forever. Yeah. Do you know that Calvin says that the reason the Apostle Paul brings up incest to the Corinthians is that they're so proud. I always thought it was because that because there was, was incest so degraded <laughs> that they even sunk to incest that so he has to deal with that. And Calvin says no. He says it's because they were so proud that he brought the incest up to humble them. Uh-huh. And there's nothing more humbling than incest.
2: Well, and that makes perfect sense when you look at the whole of, like, if you can step back and think of the whole of 1 Corinthians and how much he's dealing with their pride and their knowledge and how puffed up they are. Knowledge puffs up. Oh, you mm. know so much.
1: And they look down on Paul. Right. Right.
2: Well, because they've had the super apostles come and preach.
1: Well, and that's what the whole church today looks down on, Paul. That's why I will and talk about mannerisms. Did you notice I never refer to Paul? Mm-hmm. I always Paul. refer to the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's an idiosyncrasy. If we started counting idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. that we have in our teaching and in our preaching and stuff, it's fascinating how how we develop habits but every farmer does that, every shepherd does that, every dairyman does that. Every one of us have idiosyncrasies that are what our mothers lovingly refer to as our snowflakeness. And we just have to not be apologetic and not try to hide the things that make us a normal man.
2: I like imagining your mom referring to your snowflakeness.
1: Well, my mother... My mother was never in any slightest way sentimental about any of her children except the ones that were dead. (laughs) And then all she had was sentiment. I mean, that's a bit of a joke, but (laughs) there's nothing like the survivor sibling. (laughs) having sort of a fatalistic approach to life because he knows he'll never be like his perfect brothers. Yeah. And I still get this in my late 60s. Somebody talked to one of my relatives. My relatives told me that that she said that Danny, she knew us back when we lived in Philly and Danny was dying. And she said, Danny was an angel. Well, of course, all the children that died were angels. And then there's scumbags like me left. (laughs) I mean, no, seriously. I'm not making a joke. (laughs) It was like I always felt I was cursed because I was left behind as a disappointment to my parents. <laughs> you know? I still feel like I'm a disappointment to everybody. <laughs> not you, Nathan. No, no, no. I'm not a disappointment to you. You're your own disappointment.
0: <laughs> right. I've got enough disappointments. I
1: don't need you. And since we're talking about preaching, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what my mother despised about my preaching? What's that? Can you guess? No. She hated my vocabulary. That it was too big? Yep. Mm. She would say to me, Tim, Timothy, who are you trying to impress? (laughs) And my father didn't hear me more than a couple of times and was very kind in saying that my sermon helped him, Mm. which was, of course, the highest. And my father always said to me, Tim, keep the cookies on a low shelf. Mm Mm-hmm. And so both my father and mother felt that I was too pretentious or too sophisticated or too proud in the way that I preached. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Who are you trying to impress, Timothy? That's what my mother said, and she said it over and over again, and I still hear her. You're in the pulpit. You're choosing a vocabulary word. You're you're deciding what to say, and you're in a university community. (laughs) It's like, do you feel that at all?
2: What I feel is actually I'm working so hard to bring the cookies down to a low shelf that I'm always afraid I'm going to scandalize people by how simple I'm trying to be. Huh. That's more the pressure that I find myself feeling. It's like, oh no, I hope that, I don't know. But then it's just like, well, I don't well, care. Well, if I don't, I'm I don't there, I, I hope don't Tim doesn't judge me. Yes, that's right. You have in front of you a, a little book that is built around a topical sermon series. And there's a part of me that's just terrified that you're gonna judge the degree to which I've been fighting in trying to discipline myself to be simple and low for our people. And that's not fair of me to do. But can I ask, I Feel. and since you've said this publicly now,
1: can I ask, have you really felt in your ministry that I have been disappointed by you? Never, no. So let me say something. I'm holding this book. Everybody needs to read this book, Who is Jesus? by Jake Menzel. And it will take you probably 45 minutes to an hour to do, maybe an hour and a half. And when you get done, ask yourself whether Jake has been unfaithful to God and to his sheep by putting the cookies on a low shelf. And of course, that's a joke. I'm being facetious. (laughs) And then write him a note telling him how helpful it was to you and how you're going to give it to your... Daughter who's off at college, or to your neighbor who works as an aide in a nursing home.
0: And if anyone doesn't know what the word facetious means, it means humorous or amusing.
1: Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek. The book is called Who is Jesus by Jake Mensel, M E N T Z E <laughs> L. It's published by Woolhorn.